great to see you this morning. My name's Ed, if we've not met before, and um, it's great to be together um, this, this morning. Uh, if you're online with us, it's great to have you with us as well. Perhaps you are watching this. It's 2035, and you're watching in your VR headset, and you're just after a bit of nostalgia. You're very welcome to. Um, that'll probably be me watching it back, actually, to be honest. But, uh, so um, I've just got a good little question for you this morning. Have you ever experienced something really amazing or been somewhere really exciting and you found yourself, you just can't wait to kind of tell someone else about it. You can't wait to kind of invite others to come and see it with you. It might be a, a particularly kind of great meal that you've had. It might be a, a particularly stunning view that you've seen. Um, I recall a time with my family. We were away for a few days on the North Cornwall coast. And, and early in the morning, I went for a run. Well, probably a bit more of a jog, so I had a bit of a stagger first thing in the morning. And, and I, was, I just went along this coastal path, and I was greeted with these just incredible views of the Cornish coast. There were these kind of beautiful coves and beaches and, and these towering waves. It was just absolutely spectacular. And I couldn't wait to get back to everyone and say, let's go for a walk let's come and see this amazing place and we'd kind of walk along and it'd be like oh this next bit around the corner this is particularly great um i don't know if you do you, do you know what that's like um there's something about shared experiences something about having people join in with things that often makes the entire experience much much uh, better there's a thrill to inviting others to uh, to come and join in and we're starting um this morning, a three-week mini-series in the book of 1 John in the New Testament. And as we read the start of this book, we, we get this same sense from the writer of this book, that, that actually there's this excitement, there's this desire for others to come and join in with what um, he has experienced. Uh, so we're just going to dive straight into the first four verses of, of 1 uh, John. And uh, it starts like this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us and has now disappeared from the screen. Uh, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Now, we don't know for certain who wrote the book of 1 John, but most people, and this includes me, most people believe that it's the same person who wrote John's Gospel and who wrote the book of Revelation, and, and that that person was John the Apostle, one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He was a fisherman. He was brother of James and son of Zebedee. And so we, we hear from someone here who was close to Jesus throughout his ministry. He's someone who walked with Jesus, who ate with Jesus, who, who saw Jesus do the most amazing miracles. He was one of Jesus' closest friends. In fact, in the Gospel of John, four different times, he refers to himself in the third person in a really weird way. He says he calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. Isn't that strange? Isn't that strange? Can you imagine if I was standing here at the start of this talk and say, hey, I'm Ed, and just to let you know, I'm the one that Jesus loves. Wouldn't that just be a bit odd? You'd probably throw something at me. But... But John, he just didn't care because, you know, in being with Jesus, in walking and talking with him, John was so aware of the love of Jesus in his life. He just couldn't help but point it out. 
And so there's no one better to help us, uh, to, to let us in on that amazing experience of closeness with, with, with Jesus. And, and probably several decades later, he, he's writing. And so we're looking back at, at verse 3 there. It says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. We write this to make our joy complete. He's desperate to to show and inspire people the, the experience of God that he's had and to help people live that same fullness of life and fellowship with Jesus and with others. He just gives off this vibe of excitement and joy that comes with, with relationship with God. And I don't know about you, but I, I would like a bit more of that. I would like a little bit more of that excitement of what it is to experience the fullness of God and uh, experience of, of joy and relationship with other people. This word, um, fellowship, it uh, crops up uh, a number of times. I don't know what you think, but fellowship, it's a bit of a churchy word, isn't it? It's a bit of a churchy word. Now, a few, uh, well, a couple of weeks ago, a bunch of us from my work, we went out of the office for, for, for lunch together one day. Now, this email came round in advance and it said this, dear colleagues in the Bristol office, uh, we're headed out for lunch today. Uh, but what it didn't say is we're headed out for lunch today for a time of fellowship. That would have been a bit strange, wouldn't it? If they'd said we're heading out for lunch for a time of fellowship. It's not a word that we use loads outside the church, is it? But there's something really, really special about this word, fellowship. As you might know, the, the New Testament was written uh, originally in Greek. And so whatever English Bible we are using today, it's, it's, a, it's an attempt to best translate the meaning uh, of those original words. Actually, the Greek word for fellowship used here and in lots of other places of the Bible is this, koinonia, koinonia. Just say that with me, koinonia. Lovely, lovely. Um, it essentially means what we share in common. And, you know, we're all different from one another. At times, it may feel like you look around the church and you think, what have I got in common with these people? No, 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 we won't do that. Um, John is, you know, John is talking here though about the fact that we can and we do have fellowship with one another because what we have in common is a sharing in the life of the Lord Jesus and so we may look and we may think differently we may be from from different cultural and, and ethnic backgrounds we we might be wired differently in our personalities and in our our makeup but what we have in common is Jesus Christ Jesus connects us to the Father and he connects us to one another. And so fellowship is something that goes much deeper than just a social event or a golf club. It seems that when we, when we read the Bible, we, we see this word that appears over 20 times in the Bible, koinonia. It's all about active participation in Christian community, actively getting involved. In fact, it's, it's this word that's written in Acts chapter 2 when it talks of the early church being devoted to one another, to sharing generously with one another as they shared together the blessings of God together. It's a, a, it's a powerful thing, this koinonia. It's part of the, the fullness of life that God intends for his people. And so how can we know more of this fellowship with God and one another? Well, to, to help us to get a grasp on this, this book of, of 1 John, you know, John brings us these three main messages that we're going to be looking at a bit over the next three weeks. God is light, God is love, and God is life. 
Now, lots of us uh, are doing uh, daily readings and reflections in 1 John as part of our November D groups. I hope you're enjoying that. I've been really enjoying it. It's been getting loads of stuff um, out of it. Um, but we're just going to head straight into our next little bit, verse 5, to, to read on what John says here. He says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And um, this description here of God is light, it's one that comes up all the time in, in John's writings. And, and by this, what he's doing is he's painting a picture of God as, as just pure, absolute holiness and purity. That God is the, the source and the measure of what is all, all that is true and perfect. You know, God is light means that God is, is holy and completely upright. He's completely righteous and true. And then it seems like to kind of ram the point home, he, he kind of, he puts it beyond all, all doubt and he says, actually, in him there is no darkness at all. There is no darkness and there's no dark side with God. There's no sin, there's no evil, there's no blemish or stain on his character. There's no small print when it comes to God. And then using this description of God as God is light, he goes on to say, how can we experience fellowship with God and with one another? He says, we walk in the light as he is in the light we walk in the light as he is in the light it sounds really poetic doesn't it but but what does it mean to walk in the light well I think that walking in the light is about us living righteously each day it's about a right living but but not just by any old standards John says it is about walking in the light as he is in the light in other words it's about right living to God's standards. It's about right living with, with complete and up, utter sort of purity and, and uprightness in our lives, just like Jesus did. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't often feel I make it as far as breakfast, uh, living up to that standard. Did you identify with that? Actually, it feels like that's a kind of a really impossible standard to live to. It's impossible, to, it feels like it's impossible to live with that same purity and righteousness and sinlessness as Jesus did. And so John reminds us in verse 9, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Peter Hatton, we, we had a, a, a Bible school time just looking at 1 John and a number of you were, were there. We had a, a great time and he, he really helpfully pointed out about this verse that it's written as a kind of a, in the continuous tense. So it's really kind of supposed to read, you know, if we keep on confessing our sins, he is faithful and just and he will keep on forgiving, forgiving us our sins and he will keep on purifying us from all unrighteousness. And that's the wonderful reality of life with Jesus, isn't it? That that um, you know, we can know what it is that his forgiveness and his faithfulness goes on and on. But we shouldn't kid ourselves. We need to recognise that we regularly fall short um, of that. But John unpacks further what it means to walk in the light. And in chapter 2, he, he goes on and uh, he says this, verses 3 to 8. He says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. 
This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Now in that little passage, there's lots of talk about commands. Oh man, like five times it uses the word commands. That's a bit heavy, isn't it? And you know, for people who don't call themselves Christians, you know, maybe, maybe that's you here this morning, maybe that's you watching online, you, you don't count yourself a Christian, and you feel almost like this is confirming exactly what you thought Christianity was all about. It's all about commands. It's all about rules. In fact, surely that's what all religion is about. It's all about rules and about commands. But just for a minute, let's just have a little think about commands and rules. I think there are two main ways we experience commands and rules in our lives and it's the first way is this I'm going to call it the club model we're very used to this in our world you know my grandpa he's passed away now but my grandpa used to belong to this this kind of really posh club and uh, when I was about nine years old I know it's hard to imagine but I was once nine years old and he took me and my whole family along to this club for Sunday lunch only they wouldn't let me in because I wasn't wearing a tie I was nine years old, wasn't wearing a tie, so I wasn't allowed in. So my mum, she walked home with me and she, like, grabbed one of my dad's ties out the, out the cupboard and put this like, huge, great big tie on me, and they, they let me in so that I could have lunch with everybody else. In the club model, you have to meet the criteria. You have to agree to the rules, and then they let you in. You can participate then, you can be part of the club, but if you break the rules, then, then you're out. Um, that is the club model, and we're used to so much of that in our lives. But there's another way of thinking about rules, and that's this. There's what we're going to call the family model. You know, many of us are blessed to be born into a family. And once we're part of that family, mum and dad come up with some rules. They're rules that keep everyone alive and keep everyone sane. They're things like, you know, don't stick that grape up your nose. It's like don't leave the Lego all over your bedroom floor at night because it hurts when you get up. You know, it's wait for the green light before you cross the road. These, these are rules that help kids. Don't throw things against the wall. These are, 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 things, that, these are things that help our kids to learn to make good decisions, to develop into adults. They, they didn't, your mum and dad didn't create rules to make you part of the family so that you could be good enough to be part of the family. They, they, they did it because you are already part of the family. They established rules to help you to thrive in life. And so, just to be really clear, and don't miss this, throughout the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, whenever we read about God's commands we're always reading about the family model of rules if you've chosen to put your trust in Jesus if you if you've been adopted as a son and a daughter as you've become part of that family of God with your status assured you know a father God lovingly gives us commands to keep our lives on track and to help us to grow in him his commands are saying to us look I love you and I know what's best for you this thing is really really important and and as trusting children we choose to obey now for John and throughout the Bible 
keeping God's commands is a confirmation and not a condition of a relationship with him. It's a confirmation. It's not a condition of a relationship with him. And he talks in verse 7 here about, it's really confusing. He talks about an old command and a new command and then a new command and then an old command. It's like, what on earth are you on about, John? Just give it to us straight. Well, he doesn't really say exactly what this command is, but, but, it, but it's really clear as we read the whole of Scripture that this command is a command to love. It's a command to love. And this is a command that we've had from almost the very beginning of time. It's one that is fundamental to our relationship with God and fundamental to our relationship with one another. And um, I'm just going to look a little bit here. This in the Old Testament, Leviticus 19, verse 18. God gave a command to the Israelites, and he said, Do not seek revenge. Don't, don't bear a grudge against one another, but love your neighbor as yourself. It's one of the oldest kind of commands in the Bible. And yet in Jesus, we have kind of almost like that same command, but embodied and, and expressed in a whole radical new way. In John 13, this is when, when Jesus sits down with his disciples at the Last Supper, and he says this, a new command I give you. There it is, a new command I give you. And again, love one another. Well, that's an old command, isn't it? Oh, no, love one another. But here's something fresh. As I have loved you, you must love one Another. And do you see what's going on here? That it's the same command. It's the same command to love one another. And yet, as Jesus so often did, he, he takes that command and takes it into a whole new dimension. It's not just love one another as you would want to be loved, but it's love one another as Jesus has loved you. And that's the driving force behind all koinonia, behind all fellowship. We interact with other people through the filter of how Jesus has loved us. And Jesus loved us by laying down his life for us. And he says that we're to follow his example and to show that self-sacrificial love for one another too. And John is saying this, that if you want to know the fullness of that true koinonia, that, that fellowship with God and one another. If you want to know what this, if you want to walk in the light, then it's absolutely key that you learn to love like Jesus loved. And it's our attitude, it's our treatment of one another that is at the heart of walking in the light. So how do we learn to love like Jesus? How do we, how do we practice loving one another as Jesus had loved us? Well, just, just as I come into land, um, I just want to invite you for a minute to to have a little reflection about your involvement in this church. Have a little think. And just to, to ask you, just to quietly to yourself in your, your mind, think about this. What proportion of your involvement in this church is, is sitting in a row looking at a stage, like we are at the moment? And then what proportion of that involvement is sitting or standing in a circle, actively participating or interacting with other people just have a little think about that in terms of your involvement in church at the moment because here at Highgrove you know if you show up on a, a Sunday if you attend a service but actually you then kind of leave immediately at the end and there's no interaction or involvement with anybody else there's no involvement in any other aspect of church life there's not like a, being on a serving team or in a small group or a way in which kind of you rub shoulders with other people then I just want to really really just very gently suggest that you, you might be missing out on the fullness of fellowship 
You might be missing out on the fullness of that fellowship that the Bible invites us to. And for us um, at Highgrove, you know, small groups are absolutely key. Uh, They're key for us as an expression of that koinonia, that fellowship. Small groups are are groups of people, between six and 12 people who meet together regularly. And they they usually meet in someone's home and, and they're there for a place of connection and belonging to one another. That opportunity to express that loving like Jesus with uh, one uh, another. And uh, small groups, you know, for us, they're about actively participating in church community. Small groups are church in a circle rather than in a row. They are, they're about participating with one another, about receiving from one another, but also giving to one another. They're a way to put into practice what it is to love like Jesus. And um, of course, what we know, and I kind of know this as well, is actually when life is tough and life is quite busy, it might seem that the last thing you want to do is to be part of a small group. But I, I do genuinely believe that it's the thing that we need most at that time. We need to put ourselves in situations where we can participate with others in community. That is fellowship. That is koinonia. And I just invite Tom and the team up to to, to help us to to worship as we come to a, a close. Um, just just to say, you know, that actually, in fact, we are looking to start a whole load new more small groups here at Highgrove. And so, actually, if you feel today provoked by the challenge of uh, of embracing fellowship, if you feel provoked to help other people to do the same thing, maybe. Um, you might even be want to be someone who gathers others to start a little fellowship group, a small uh, group, that you start to put into practice what it is to be uh, a koinonia uh, together. And if that's you, we'd love to have a little chat with you and see. But I'm just going to invite you to stand right now. As we go back into worship, I just want to pray for us and ask that we might, in this series in 1 John that I've introduced a bit this morning, that we might discover more of that heart of God, the experiencing that fullness of God in all that he wants to do and bring. And so, Lord, we thank you for that invitation to a fullness of life and fellowship with you that John is so enthusiastic about, he's so keen about. And Lord, we want to ask today, just like John, that we might see ourselves as, as, as the one that Jesus loves. That we might be aware of that sense of security being part of your family. But Lord, I thank you that you know what's best for us. And so, Lord, as you say, uh, you know, come and join in, come and participate, come and be a lover of other people, to love people the way that Jesus loves you. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to respond in whatever way that is, whether that's even just this morning, hanging around for a bit longer to be able to speak to someone over coffee uh, rather than dashing away. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Whatever way you want to speak to us this morning, we welcome that today. And Lord, would you enhance our fellowship together? Would you bless the unity of Highgrove Church? May we be people who really enter into that true fellowship, that koinonia with you and with one another as we share what we have in common. Jesus Christ.